Well, tonight we're starting, we're going to start a new series on James, okay, the book of James, uh, and and I've entitled this this series, Real Faith, uh, Real Wisdom, so Gabe and I will be taking you through this, and occasionally we may have uh, some other speakers, but the, but the reason why uh, we chose James, or, or I, I chose James after a while, is that I've been saying this, that young adulthood is full of decisions and transitions, and that really requires wisdom. And that is why we're going to preach through James. In the book of James, you have a bunch of spiritual topics. It's one of the most topical books where almost every chapter, you're going to find two or three different themes or topics that apply to different areas of your life that you may be struggling with or that you may want more wisdom on. Uh, some have, have referred to James as containing the wisdom of Jesus Christ. That's actually one of the themes that, that theologians say, you know, James, one of the themes is obviously genuine faith, but another one is the wisdom of Jesus Christ. So think of James as like the New Testament version of Proverbs. Right? It's Proverbs plus Christian worldview. Proverbs plus what Jesus would teach. And, and that's part of why James is so topical in nature. In fact, a number of the topics that you requested a few months ago, I don't know if you guys remember, it's more than a few months ago, I, I did take a survey where each of you kind of filled out a piece of paper of things or themes or items that you would like us to preach through. Uh, and, and I got all kinds of things. How do we grow in our faith? How do we, you know, how do we make a decision on, on, on a big idea? You know, what do we do with, with, with these changes in life? How do I deal with loneliness, emotions? There's all kinds of different things. And actually, James covers a number of those topics. So that's one of the reasons why we chose this book. Um, another thing about James is that I'll show you as we go along. Okay, but in James, you almost see this, this portrait uh, that reflects Jesus' teaching. In particular, the book of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7, they call it the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus gave a bunch of ethical teaching. It's like moral teaching, but he always talks about the heart, right? Jesus talks about adultery. He talks about, you know, not being a hypocrite. He talks about uh, honesty and forgiveness and all these different things that come out. And James kind of reflects that. So in many ways, it is the wisdom of Jesus Christ put out and, and it reflects the, the Sermon on the Mount. And so that's why real faith, real wisdom, uh, given the time and Speaking of wisdom, I think it's wise to get started. So if you have your if you have God's word, turn to James chapter one. James chapter one. James chapter one. And the title of tonight's message is Wisdom for Trials Part One. Okay? Wisdom for Trials Part One. Because there's gonna be part two to this. Okay, James gives us the first topic, and it's really interesting that the first thing he tackles is trials and that really sets you up for some of the bigger context i want to start by giving a quick introduction and we're going to do that by looking at verse one if you look with me james one james introduces himself as james a servant or bond servant or some of your translations slave right of god and of the lord jesus christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion or diaspora greetings Right, so that actually gives us some information about who he's writing to, although we got to kind of explain it, the historical context, and who he is. So the first thing is, who is James? But I think really quickly, uh, we believe, the conservative church believes that this is referring to the half-brother of Jesus. So I, I know there was a, there was a Peter, 
Peter, John, and James instead of different James. And, and like I always say, this is not LeBron James, right? But but this is the half brother of Jesus. He's the he's the natural son of Mary and Joseph, uh, and he's actually mentioned in Matthew thirteen fifty five. Okay, in Matthew thirteen fifty five, it refers to that particular James. Uh, historians tell us that James was was he became a leader and he was a leader in the early Jerusalem church and you actually see him mentioned in Acts chapter 15 and that's who we believe wrote this book that this was the half brother of Jesus right uh, the second thing is who is his audience well he kind of addresses his audience and and since he's saying servant of God of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes that language describes Israel 12 tribes, but here he's writing to the church. He's writing to the very early church. When you, when you look at a study Bible and you look at that fr first page, if you have a study Bible, you know, when in, in the front of every single book, there's that kind of guide that kind of gives you the, the background. You will see that James, the dating of the book is pretty early, which means that James wrote to a very, very early Messianic community. That means that, that there's Jewish people who are for the first time realizing that Jesus is their Messiah, and that is the earliest church. You have Jewish leaders and Jewish Christians, and obviously there's going to be some Gentiles in the mix, okay, but predominantly these are Jewish Christians. And, 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 and the church maybe is just forming their organization and structure. Right? But very early on, he's writing to this early messianic community. And so the readers would have to at least understand who the 12, what's 12, why 12, what, what's tribes, right? And so, so this is the language that he's using that in the Old Testament, it described God's chosen people. It described Israel. But here, he, James is addressing not the nation of Israel, but he's referring to the true Israel. The real Israel. That's Israel plus Jesus, right? That's Judaism complete is Judaism with Messiah, right? Judaism, pl Judaism plus their Messiah is true and full Judaism, right? And, and, and so that is Christianity, early Messianic community, okay? And so, uh, and then he says dispersion. So that word dispersion, why does he say dispersion? It's because there's, there's a, this goes into the purpose for writing. What's his purpose for writing? Why are they dispersed? He's writing to an audience that's scattered due to persecution and oppression. You kind of see that play out. And that's why he starts by saying, count it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, right? Because they are under trials. What type of trials? Well, there's various trials, but one of those trials is persecution and oppression. Uh, and they were suffering persecution and they were living in poverty. And so there's going to be, you're going to see passages about the rich and poor and economic oppression, right? And this was due to Agrippa's persecution that many early Christians, they fled Jerusalem and they were scattered all throughout Palestine. So, so being away from home, Okay, and, and think about being a very early church, right? So, so you don't have all that the church has right now and, and all this history and structure. And so very early on, you're kind of asking, man, it's because I committed to Jesus that now I'm away from home. Uh, maybe I can't find a job. I'm, I'm, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Uh, I'm struggling with poverty. Maybe it's better to be like the world. Look at all these people who are wealthy and, and look at all these people. Maybe I shouldn't have followed Jesus. 
And, and that's why one of the main themes is genuine faith, right? That's why James exhorts them, don't just be, uh, don't just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word, right? Let your faith be genuine. Let your faith work itself out. Prove it. Prove yourselves that you really are followers of Christ by persevering in the faith. That's why all that language and all that theology goes in there, because they're really struggling with, hey, is this worth it to follow Jesus? Because we're poor. And we're persecuted, right? And so James corrects and exhorts them and says, look, you've got all kinds of struggles. So you need wisdom. And you need biblical wisdom. And you need Jesus' wisdom. And so he addresses them in that way. Uh, this was a letter circulated among all these um, early Christians that are dispersed in their communities. Okay, so that leads us to point number one. That was the introduction. Oops, I think I might have turned this off. Sorry, Chris, I pressed something. There you go. Cool. Yeah. So, point number one. So, I, I have three question forms. Okay. Three three questions or question format. Uh, so, inductive for uh, for the one person in here who's reading Don Snookin's book right now. Inductive approach. Just kept in, inductive approach to, to the sermon. Uh, point number one is how should we respond to trials? And here's the deductive answer. <laughs> Rejoice by looking past the trial uh, to the end. That's... That's what this passage, this verse is conveying. It's saying, how do you find joy in the trial? Not by rejoicing in the trial, right? You would, you would be insane to be, be like, I love suffering. I love trials. Like, I love this pain. Bring on more. I mean, no, that's not what the verse is saying. It's not saying rejoice in pain, right? But it is saying, find a source of joy by looking through it, looking past it uh, when you meet trials of various kinds. I want you to see this, okay? So, rejoice, consider it joy when you meet various trials of various kinds. That's what it says. And this word various, it means various. Now, different commentators will say, oh, there's specific trials. But really, this really means various trials. Uh, any trial that you can think of that is actually a trial, right? That is a real trial where you're trying to live for God, but life is hard. And God designs specific trials for His children to train us and to shape us. So, that, so that's why we have different struggles. Okay? And we all need to grow in different areas of life. So immediately, you can see how practical this is. That I'm moving right to application. Right? The reason why there's various trials, and, and the way to look past that trial, is that, is that if you see trials as just, man, this, this stinks. Like, why do I have all these trials? If only I can control my life so I don't have trials. See, that's the difference between a consequence and a trial, right? Like, like if, if you make some really unwise decision and you kind of knew it was unwise and then you're getting some consequences and you're like, how come I'm in this pit? It's kind of easy for you to kind of say, well, you know, I kind of got myself into it, but you know what? Let's get out of it, right? But a trial is when you are, it, it's unexpected. You know, you're driving in your lane and some drunk driver like weaves and it hits you and then they take off. Okay, you, you got a problem, you got a trial, you got to deal with insurance, God willing, you're okay. Uh, you know, that's a trial. You weren't looking for it, right? You know, some difficult, like a disease that comes up out of nowhere. These are real trials and you're just trying to live for God and, and life is difficult, right? And, and so that's where you have to kind of change the mindset to believe that God is sovereign over trials, which means He actually designs trials 
for us. And when we get to verses 3 and 4, you're going to see this, right? He actually designs specific trials, and that's why all of our trials are different. That's why we can't compare uh, ourselves with other people. You're like, hey, how come I have this family struggle, or how come I have uh, such a hard time, but how come this person doesn't have a certain trial? And, and if you really talk to them, they probably have trials too. It's just It just comes in different shapes and forms. But God also knows, He also knows that there are certain people who can handle a lot of trials. Or, or there are certain trials, and we see this in the example of, of the Apostle Paul. We, we mentioned 2 Corinthians where Paul said God gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble because God had elevated him in, in terms of his ministry influence, in terms of having these special visions. And, and Paul knew that he would become proud and boast. And so God gives him a specially designed trial that maybe would crush you and me, okay? But, but for Paul, God said, Paul, you can handle it. And, and so that's why you kind of have to see if God gives you a trial, he is actually promising that you can get through it, okay? But you don't want to compare yourself to someone else and say, how come they don't have a trial? Well, maybe because God knows that that trial will literally crush them, right? So, so that helps you to begin to think very practically, John Calvin says it really well. Okay, he, he captures both the, the explanation of verse 2, but also the, the proper framework of all of James as well as uh, the New Testament in terms of the theology of trials. He says, quote, The Lord afflicts us. So first of all, there's faith right there. The Lord. Not the world. Don't blame yourself. You're not blaming other people or why is life so bad. The Lord, the sovereign Lord who loves you, afflicts us with various, in various ways because ambition, avarice, I, I looked that up, I think it means greed, envy, gluttony, I, I literally don't know what that word means. I, I'm, like, I'm like, what kind of like rice rocket is this or what kind of jet ski is this? <laughs> um, envy, <laughs> gluttony, intemperance, Excessive love of the world and the innumerable lust in which we abound cannot be cured by the same medicine. End quote. That, he's actually saying Jesus wants to mature us. Jesus wants to help us to grow. And he knows that the only way we're going to grow. So he actually, God actually looks at us and says, hey, look, you have pride. I'm going to give you a special trial that doesn't break you. But it's going to break you enough to humble you, to bring you back to Jesus. Okay, you, your trial is that you're too discouraged. I'm going to uplift you. Okay, so each and every person has a, has a different trial, right? But we have to see that God designed trials for our growth, for our good. Um, you know, every time you go through a trial, you get strengthened. And, and you actually kind of see this, uh, before I go to that slide, you, you, actually, you actually see this in... Um, in the very next verse, right? Uh, but actually, let me go to that slide, okay? How many, anybody know who William Varner is? Um, if, get to know him um, if, if you can. You know, he's a professor at the Master's College, um, and but he's a very practical guy, and, and, and he's just a, a guy who loves the Lord and loves people, and, and he's not like a big name or a big shot, but there's stuff that, that he writes uh, and he wrote a commentary on James that's purely devotional, which means it's not all this heady stuff. It's just like, how do you actually apply James? And, and I found it. And, and he wrote this about joy, right? A proper perspective of joy. And, and he's giving application of James. Uh, and he says, quote, William Warner says, Happiness is a good thing, but joy is not simply being happy. Joy is a deep-seated sense of peace. So you, you think of joy, you're like, yes, I rejoice, but... Joy has to have peace, right? 
This that's the sovereign joy. That's the joy that has peace because you're looking beyond the current situation. Joy is a deep-seated sense of peace that comes from within. Nobody else can give it to you but God, right? It comes from within and is not always seen in a happy outward disposition, which means you can be crying because the trial is so painful because it would be inhumane for you to not be emotional and not to have effect. But inside, you're like, you know what? It's God's got, you know, God is sovereign. He's going to carry me through this. He's, he, he is, he has a purpose for this trial. It's causing me to trust him. Okay. So happiness is very different from joy. Happiness can be a surface uh, response, but joy is actually a deep seated peace. And, and so that's something that I have to think about often, right? Do I really have joy? Do I seek for joy? And, and, and maybe sometimes we can't find joy because we, we're not content. Or, or we're not being satisfied in Christ, right? And so, so we're like, I just want to be happy. You don't want to just be happy. Because that's actually setting yourself up for failure. Because if you say, I just want to be happy in life, you could try to be happy, but then trials just find their way towards you. Um, if you're a human being, it's guaranteed you're going to have trials. You just walk out that door, trial. You know, and, and and at the end of the day, if your goal in life is to be happy, which the biblical word for happy is what? Does anybody remember the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5 to 7. It's blessed, right? Makairos, happy, blessed, happy, blessed, blessed are those who, you know, are in the Lord and all that, right? So actually to be happy is to be blessed. And to be blessed is to have that inner sense of peace that only Jesus can can give you right and that sets us up for point number two right so so uh you know point number one was in question form okay and uh point number one was how should we respond to trials we must rejoice by looking past the trial okay um point number two is what is the purpose for various trials and here's why i'll give you a transitional illustration okay when you think of when you and this is a common illustration you probably heard a lot from preachers is, is when you think of the picture of, of, you know, the purpose of trials to persevere, but also finding joy, you think of a pregnant mother. When you have a pregnant mom, she knows it's, it's, it, there's going to be pain. She knows that she's going to go through a stage where there's nausea and she's nauseous. Uh, she, she knows that her body is going to change, which is going to change all types of other things. She knows that, um, you know, she's going to have to urinate a lot. And that's annoying uh, all the time. And, and she knows that when she delivers the baby, even with, uh, with an ep, you know, epidural, you know, there, there's going to be some pain. Okay. But in the end, she probably can still find joy because she could dig deep inside and see the end goal. So she can rejoice in what's in the end. You know, that's the illustration here. It's the same thing, but it, it, it plays on in more of an athletic kind of illustration where where when you're exercising if you really love a sport or music you have to practice and there's going to be failure right there's going to be times where you're just so frustrated with yourself but but you you find joy because you know that in the end your performance is going to increase which means no pain no gain right and so if you want to lift a certain amount of weight for you buff crazy guys in here you actually have to go and try but in the end you know that you're going to lift more weight right and if you get a personal trainer you can probably dunk nowadays right and 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 you know your your basketball skills are going to increase and you want to run a marathon you have to go out and run and train music is the same way uh, skills at work whatever it is 
So we understand that the more you practice, it builds endurance and it makes you better. And that's the idea here. Look at verses three and four. Let me read it to you. Okay. And the point is testing of our faith that produces endurance and spiritual maturity. That's the purpose for various trials. So what's the purpose for various trials? It's for the testing of our faith that produces endurance and spiritual maturity, meaning it's more complete, our faith. We're more perfected, right? We're more like Christ. So verse 3 says, For you know that the testing, it's a process of your faith, produces, so there's a product, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Verse 4, and let steadfastness have its full effect. So as you build steadfastness, which is endurance, let that endurance have its full effect, which is what? That you would be, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Right? And so, so you see this chain. You see this chain where trials test your faith. The testing of your faith leads to steadfastness, which... I think a good word to translate that is endurance. And then let endurance lead to that you may be more perfect and complete, which I'll translate as spiritual maturity. Okay? You see that process. Now, this process is is a biblical theme because you see this in 1 Peter 1, 6-7. Same thing, right? 1 Peter 1, 6-7. The words are a little different, but the idea is the same. It's the same chain of events. Let me read it to you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. It says, In this you rejoice. So you, you see it begins with rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So get this picture of gold going through a refiner's fire. It's a refining process. Guys, that's what trials do. Trials put you under a fire that refines you. You get stronger. And every single time you go through a trial, you're like, do I trust God? Yes, I do. Okay, then I have to believe and I have to act upon it right and then so you trust god and then you get through that trial then another trial comes and you're like okay i'm gonna uh, god got me through the last one i'm gonna go to him again i'm gonna trust him i'm gonna go to my community i'm gonna get support we're gonna you know and then you keep growing and you keep growing and at the end of your life you're all you know shot up with trials you've gone through a lifetime of trials and you still believe in jesus and you're walking with jesus and you're more mature in faith and actually, because you've gone through all those trials and your joy hasn't been stripped away, it's been tested, you have that inner sense of peace and you're like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go see my Lord, right, um, at any time. And, and I think that's the, that's, that's the idea. That's the picture of, uh, of endurance, right? Every trial is designed, right? Every trial is designed to refine our belief in Christ so that we grow in Christ-likeness. Uh, and th- this is the process that it produces steadfastness, right? Now, I mentioned that that word perfect and complete, lacking in in nothing, okay, it conveys spiritual maturity. That's the completion aspect. It's that you're mature. That the more you grow, the more you will mature in faith, right? Uh, and so that's just the process that we understand. Uh, we understand, and I mentioned the, the whole athletic illustration, but guys, spiritual muscles are the same. Spiritual muscles are not like physical muscles. I have none. Okay. Uh, but but spiritual, I have no physical muscles. But spiritual muscles need to be exercised. Faith actually has to be tested and exercised. And the more you exercise, the more you grow, the more you look to God's word, and the more you behold Christ, and the more you believe in him, the more you pray, and the more you worship, you are going to grow stronger. That's the same way. Right? Uh, and, and so I mentioned that, you know, 
you know, why, how do we respond to trials? We rejoice by looking, you know, to the end of the trial, right? Which is, which is our eternal reward. Sometimes God doesn't answer our, our prayer in this lifetime. And we have to believe that he has a purpose, right? Second is, as I mentioned, what is the purpose for trials? And it's testing of our faith that produces endurance that leads to spiritual maturity. But point number three, and this ties back to the, to the theme of, of the series is what if, what if we lack wisdom, right? Because now verses five to eight is a transition verse. So I'm going to tell you what we did behind the scenes, okay? So Gabe did an awesome job. I had Gabe um, cut the text, okay? Basically meaning, you know, divide up the text of how we're going to preach it. Uh, and, and I say, you know, look at MacArthur's commentary, look at other commentaries. And actually uh, tonight's assignment was verses 1 to 4, James 1, 1 to 4. And that's exactly how MacArthur breaks it down in, in, in his commentary. And, you know, I decided... This week, I said, hey, let's tackle on five to eight. Because here's here's more application. Because this is actually what happens, you know, if I'm trying to find joy, but I can't. I don't know where to go. Okay, so I understand that there's trials. And, and I understand that there's various trials. And I understand that trials are supposed to be good. But look, I'm just asking for some guidance on how to get through this you know, trial that's in front of you. So I, I do want to add this for today. And then next time when we come back, this is a transition into the next part, right? Where he begins to address one specific trial, which is, which talks about wealth and, and poverty. So what if we lack wisdom? Point number three, verse five day is you ask God and without a doubt, he will provide. This is a key. Okay. Because when you talk about various trials, it's not like any of us can give you an answer, right? I, I mean, you, you might say, Hey, I have this crazy trial and, and, and any like spiritual leader or, or your community, you know, your spiritual community can listen to you. But you actually have to go back and play the game. You actually have to go back and make a decision. You actually have to go back and face the stress. You, you have to face your family. You have to face your boss. You have to face that, uh, you know, your workplace. You have to face whatever it is that you have to face. And that's where sometimes you really need God. And that's the key is, is the wisdom is to go to God. But, but my question is, how come we often don't go to God? Right? Why is going to God like a second option for us? And I'll, I'll admit to you that when I go through various trials, when I have to make a decision, um, I might go to my friends first. But honestly, first I go to Google. <laughs> I just go, how do you do this? You know, uh, what, what should I do? Um, how? And we go to Google to search for wisdom. And I think there's some conventional wisdom there that you can go to uh, Google and look and just to see what's out there, okay? Um, or you might go to people. You might go to books, right? You might go to um, whoever it is, your 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 significant other if, if you're in a relationship or if you're married. Uh, but really, the first person we need to go to is God. And that is actually a key, like I mentioned. Okay, let me show you what it says in verses 5, 5. Uh, starting in verse 5, but it's 5 to 8. Okay, so ask God without a doubt that He will provide. Our problem is that we actually doubt, God, you might not provide. Okay, so look at verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So actually God is saying, Ask him. The word of God is saying, ask him. And he gives generously, which means he's, he has all to give to you. He, he can give you 
uh, all the help you need. And he's not going to hold back unless he knows that holding back from answering your prayer is good for you. You know, sometimes, you know, um, our parents, when, when we were little, like they told us we couldn't do things like touch fire. Uh, even though it was like super bright, like, oh, let's touch fire or don't look directly in the sun. But then we didn't know. But then they're trying to tell us you can't do that. But we really want it. And they're like, you can't do that. And um, they withhold something. Or maybe maybe you're like, I want a brand new car. And they're like, no, that's not good for you. And so they give you the used car. You're mad. But then you crash it. And then you realize, okay, why? Yeah, it's the same way where sometimes when we ask God, God might say, look, if I don't give it to you, I have a reason. Okay, I have a reason. And actually later, you are going to know why, right? And, and, and it's not always this negative discipline. It's because He loves us, right? And so sometimes we doubt, God, do you understand me? Do you love me? He gives generous, generously. Now, what does reproach mean? What does reproach mean? Does anybody know what reproach means? You just yell it out. Anybody know what reproach means? What does reproach mean? Because we don't talk like that. So um, we don't use that vocabulary in our normal language. Anybody use that vocabulary? Anybody use that vocabulary? What does it mean? It means to like correct someone. It means to rebuke someone. Uh, it means to reprimand someone. And, and so, so what this is saying is that ask God and he, he's not going to rebuke you for asking. Okay. Uh, he's not going to say, why are you asking for wisdom? Go figure it out yourself. That sounds like the world. That's not God. Right. God is going to answer you, but you have to trust him. And it goes back to the theme of genuine faith, right? Of real faith, real wisdom. And the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And the beginning of the wisdom is going to the Lord to ask for wisdom, right? Rather than the world, right? So he's not going to, he's not going to, uh, he's, he's, he's going to give generously without reproach. And it says, and it actually says this, look at the end of verse five, look in your Bibles. It says, it will be given him. And sometimes the wisest thing is God's going to show you why he's not going to give it to you, right? So that's actually a promise. It will be given him. And so we have to ask, beloved. And that's, that's often a simple solution is to ask God for wisdom. God, what do I do with this situation? I am so stressed out. I don't know what to do. And God's like, I'm going to answer you. I'm going to give it to you. Don't doubt for a minute. Right? Don't doubt. And then this whole idea of not doubting. It, it, it takes a turn because, because it continues to unpack it. You're going to see this in verses 6 to 8. But for now, verse 5 is saying God is not going to rebuke you, right? Um, and when James says, ask, ask God, he actually is, is giving you kind of a reference to Proverbs. Now, for the sake of, 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 of the PowerPoint slide, I didn't put um, all the verses up there. But, but Proverbs chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, it's important. But I'm going I'm to read to you verses 1 to 8, right? The whole, uh, or this unit, um, Proverbs 2, 1 to 8. It says this, My son, if you receive my words, treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it, as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Meaning, if you search for it, if you ask God, He is going to give it to you. And this is verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. Right? That's a key. I put it up there. Right? The Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Then verse 7 says, He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield 
He protects, He guards those who walk in integrity. Guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. That's a sovereign God watching over us. Okay, And so Proverbs is a reference. You can write that down. Okay, And so here's the, here's the big idea of, of tonight's message. Right? And I want to give you this. And then, and then I want you to look at verses 6 to 8. Okay? Is that Jesus' people will triumph over trials by turning to God for joy and wisdom. Right? So that's how we have victory. Right? This is Jesus' people. Why do I show you the big idea first? Because this is Jesus' people. And so you're going to be... So one thing that I'm not going to apologize for, but I'll try to be gentle about it and unpack it for you, is that James is really, really black and white. Okay, and, and James is not politically correct in terms of, um, you know, today's world, right? James is very black and white. There's genuine faith, and then there's false faith. And those who basically don't endure the trials, they might not have genuine faith. I mean, he's that black and white, okay? Um, be, don't just be a hearer, uh, be, a, be a doer. If you're just a hearer and you don't do, then you're, you're crazy. That's kind of how he writes, okay? And so... This is describing Jesus' people. And that should be convicting because what he describes here in verses 68 is an example of what happens when you don't have Jesus. How does the world respond? Okay, so now look at verses 6 to 8. The wisdom of the world is very different. And when you seek the world's wisdom, it's not stable. It's not a sure foundation like Christ. So look at verse 6. Right, so back to our passage, James 1, verse 6. It says, but let him ask in faith, right? First of all, the world doesn't have faith in God, right? Unless they, they have already professed faith in God with no doubting, right? So, so, so at this point, you are talking to God. There's no doubt. You believe in God. You believe that, that his son is Jesus Christ. You believe that Jesus Christ um, has ordained the word of God, the Old and New Testament, that it contains the very words of God, that you can turn to it and trust these words, um, that life is hard, but that these words give you wisdom and that you just need to apply it and believe. Right? But, but look at how it describes it. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That describes, beloved, an unbeliever. Now, obviously, this is said in love and grace, right? Because here's the difference. Oh, I wish I put it on the slide. Because back in Proverbs, back in Proverbs 2, I didn't put verse 8 on there, you know, but it says the, in verse 7, he stores up sound wisdom. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 7, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, watching over the way of his saints. That's really different. That God would not let one of his children be tossed to and fro in the waves unless you're getting baptized. Okay, I mean, literally, he's, he's not going to let you just go out there and just, you know, go with the waves. But you know what that is a symbol of? That is a symbol of instability. Right? So this is actually a message that our world needs right now, where there's a lot of emotional instability. A lot of people are stressed out. A lot of people are becoming over-anxious. That's the course of our world. And, and, and there's so much information on social media. And, and it's so hard to, to, to know who to believe, what 
What's fake news? What's real news? You know, uh, what, who should I listen to? When you Google, there's 10 million different ways to inform your trial or your decision. And you just get stressed out and, and, and indecision happens. And, you know, and, and people's opinion matters and, and what people think. And you need to have instant responses to people. And you can imagine just the stress that all of you live in or this world lives in. That's the idea. A person without a foundation, they don't have an identity. They're letting the world just kind of shape their identity. This is what the world thinks of you. Oh, no. Or this is what that person thinks of you. Oh, no. This is what the church thinks of you. Oh, no. I better go to church for a little bit. Oh, no. I better go back to the world. Back, back and forth. Right? But Jesus' people will triumph over trials because they are not like a wave being directed by the wind and being tossed in the ocean. Right, that's the idea. Now, verse 7 of our passage, right, James chapter 1, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. What are you talking about? God doesn't give anything to his children? That's what I'm saying, that this person that, that James is describing is not a genuine believer. Okay, it says, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. He's a double-minded man, verse 8, unstable in all his ways, which means that that he's going to God, but not really believing God. And that is insanity, right? That's mentally unstable. Someone to say, God, please help me. But I'm asking you for help, but I don't really believe you're there or I don't really believe you can help me. But here's another thing. What if you're a Christian and you love Jesus Christ and, and, and the wisdom is there, but you never ask for it? You never ask for help. You just try to take on every trial yourself. That's, that's also maybe a, a lower level of instability and double-minded. And again, these are, these are loving exhortations from James for his audience. And I think for us as believers, I know many of you professing believers, we need to look to this and we need to say, okay, look, we must ask God for wisdom because asking God for wisdom means that we are not seeking our own wisdom or the world's wisdom first, right? But we're seeking him wholeheartedly because we have a foundation in Jesus Christ and we will triumph, right? We, he will give us wisdom. And this world is a place of constant testing. Trials will come as part of our daily walk. As you try to follow God, as you try to live for God, as you try to live out the word, trials are going to come. And, and, and you're not trying to ask God, give me more trials so that I'll get stronger. He will give you trials. Trials will come. You're asking God, give me a joyful attitude when I encounter trials and help me to recognize where you want me to grow in spiritual maturity. And this is the opposite of blaming God, blaming others, or getting stuck. And joy, beloved, is something we must fight for. Right? We fight for joy by going to Christ. We fight for joy by knowing that He is sovereign and He will carry us through. So big idea, once again, Jesus' people will triumph over trials by turning to God for joy and wisdom. Trials will never overcome a true child of God to the point where it crushes and destroys them. Because that's not how the scriptures lay out a believer. Okay, And I know that's hard to say in our day, but that is the reality. That is the reality. And, and, and we have to be compassionate. We have to be loving uh, to the world. But I do want in transit, right? What is our vision here? It's to be a community of sojourners because we're in transition. A community of sojourners that are on mission together for the glory, for the gospel and glory of our sovereign Christ. 
is a part of our mission is to go out to a world that's in darkness and to tell them, hey, there is light and there is the gospel and there is Christ and he is sovereign. And even though this world is going to be filled with trials, there is a sovereign Lord who will carry you through. Here's your discussion questions for tonight. And again, for the discussion questions, don't feel like you have to answer every single one. Okay. Um, answer any that apply to you. And, and so what trials are you facing where you need to ask God for wisdom? Maybe you need to take a moment just to, you know, think about that. Like, what are some of the trials that I actually have to ask God for wisdom that I haven't submitted to the Lord for wisdom? Right. Number two, if you if you've sought God's wisdom for trials, how has he answered or led you? So some of you, you're like, yeah, I've, I've had trials and I've asked God for wisdom and, you know, he's answered or maybe I'm not hearing him. Maybe I'm not looking at the right passages. You know, God works in different ways. So um, ask, you know, talk about it, discuss it, right? Uh, number three, how have you experienced the chain of trials? I, I think for many of us, if you walk with the Lord, you know, you know what it's like where, where you go through a trial and it's led you to, it's tested your faith. You've come out of the refiner's fire, right? Leading to endurance, resulting in spiritual growth and maturity. And guess what? The end of the chain, it's joy. So then it, that spiritual maturity, maturity gives you that deep sense of joy in Christ. Okay, so those are the discussion questions. I know that since we're talking about trials, um, you know, feel free to, to come up to me, even if you don't want to go to your discussion group and say, you know what, Hanley, you said something, and I, it, it doesn't sit well with me, or I really need to talk to you about this. Um, I, I need some prayer. You know, just, just come up and talk to me. The other thing that I want to mention is that, is that, um, we don't feature them enough, but they are here for a purpose, okay? Is that, is that our mentor couples, Ray and Alice are back there. Uh, and uh, Joyce and, and Lester are over here. So maybe you guys can stand up a little bit. Uh, you stand up. You don't have to share your testimony now. Uh, but but I, I, know, I know many of you guys weren't here. Uh, I, I, I was, you know, this was before Pastor John transitioned out uh, that I believe there was a time where they actually shared their testimony. But their heart is to be here and just be available. You know, so there are a lot of things in life that they've gone through, uh, but they have a heart for young adults. They have a heart for you. Uh, and, and even though they have busy schedules and different things, and if you see them, you know they do a lot of different things around the church, but they also have, have, have you know, real lives. And because they live real lives, they have real wisdom. Uh, don't be afraid to seek them out, okay? And, 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 and they will walk with you, um, you know. And, and I've been trying to encourage some other uh adults to just just come and and, and sit in here you know and, and they don't have to say a thing just the presence of just knowing that they're available uh but at least we have these two couples so please you know um you know ask us uh you know ask me and and we we would love to walk walk alongside or at least guide you back to jesus and and and, and you know direct you back to god okay so let me pray for us uh and then i'll turn this time back over to calvin father we all face trials and i'm the first to admit how easily I, I fail to turn to you, how easily I, I turn to the world or, or information or even my books or my own knowledge or my own experience, Lord. Lord, Lord, help me, help us, Lord, as a fellowship, as part of uh, the church, Lord, to, to triumph in Christ, Lord, to turn to Christ, that we would behold you, that you would be our solid rock, that, that, that you would be our sure and steady anchor and foundation, that our faith would grow, Lord. And Lord, for anybody in here who uh, 
is seeking you and doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior or is, is really struggling and being crushed by trial, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would bring them to yourself and comfort them and uplift them and walk with them and give them the wisdom that you promised that you give. And so, Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would not just be a vibrant young adult fellowship, but we would be a wise young adult fellowship, Lord, reflecting the wisdom of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.